So, Mike, welcome. Hi. Thanks for uh, being here with us today. Um, got our coffee, so ready to ready to rock and roll. Um, so, Mike, you are a, a data leader. I think, with, I think it's fair to say, with a pretty long and illustrious career in uh, fintech and financial services. Uh, you're currently the head of data science for uh, Korea. Um, I'm saying that's Korea, isn't it? Not? Uh, that's the one. Just yeah. making sure. I don't want to do the whole podcast saying the name wrong. Uh, which is formerly Market Finance, as we know, um, which is as a business as a, a leading B two B credit and and payments company. Um, and I can only imagine in these, uh, you know, let's use the word interesting times we're all living through at the moment that the B2B credit space and, you know, access to, to capital for um, a lot of businesses must be particularly poignant at the moment. Um, so I bet you've got your hands full. And uh, based on my understanding of the B2B fintech market, I can only assume that data science must underpin a lot of the, you know, decision engines and um, you know, all the credit agreements and that kind of thing. So I'm sure a very, a very important part of the, of the business at Career as well. So really keen to pick your brains today on your role and, you know, your, um, I guess, how you're leading the data science function there. Um, so, uh, but as always, like to start with you and let's talk a little bit about you and, and your background and for the for the listeners for how you got into the world of uh, of data and how you got to the the dizzy heights of, uh, of of head of data science so yeah if you'd be so kind um yeah, talk us through a little bit of your background and in your career today yeah no we'd love to um so i i always say that i'm quite unusual in my career in that my career has taken a fairly linear path and that seems to be increasingly rare nowadays uh, so I guess just starting from the beginning you know I was coming out of uh, university um, having done the maths and you know the topic that I picked just because you know as a kid you don't know what you're going to do and you want to kind of give yourself maximum optionality on the things that you you enjoy um, and I took a took a placement year uh, in between my second and final year um, working at Experian um, and that's you know I guess that was a start of always working in uh, financial services uh, with data um, you know, affected some of the modules I picked in the final year and actually you know when I went to you know left left um, left university uh, I was going into you know one of one of experienced clients and uh, you know I guess I guess it carries on from from there uh, but my my first job out of university um, risk analyst uh, kind of focused very much on a, a risk management domain, but doing like kind of data analysis, solving uh, problems on you know who do we give uh, who do we give money to, um, you know how do we price for that, um, you know how do we share insights to our leaders to help to define the proposition and and. Yada yada yada. Um, so yeah, a couple of years there, and you know, then moved to um, oh, a couple of years at Tachi Capital, um, and then moved on to Yorkshire um, Bank, that later became Virgin Money. I was there for, for just about eight years, uh, and really kind of grew my career a lot, focusing on uh, credit credit risk modelling. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you know, trying to build the uh, the the computer says no. Uh, tools that, <laughs> uh, that allow customers to get quick decisions um, at, at, at fair prices um, and make sure that the bank was properly capitalised, which mm-hmm. uh, was certainly very important. You know, coming looking back at, at what happened in two thousand eight with the global financial crisis, and mm-hmm. you know what may certainly be uh, very topical now. You know, coming out of pandemics, going into the cost of living uh, crises, um, mm-hmm. and you know. 
to bring me up to my, my latest job, um, about um, two and a half years ago, I moved to, to market finance, now now CREA, um, as a head of data science. And, and at that point, I was kind of broadening out just from that kind of credit risk domain to solving um, you know, data problems across the whole company from like those commercial problems, marketing problems, etc. So um, where I am at the moment, um, I, I lead a small team um, of, of very talented data individuals um, and we pair with, uh, with the business to uh, make sure that we are uh, data-led and well-informed and we have those best-in-class processes that allow us to give us uh, give great customer experiences. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thanks for that as an overview. That's a very useful insight into uh, how we've got to where we've got to. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll delve a little bit further into uh, your your role as the head of data science for career and, and sort of how, you're, how you approach things uh, yeah, momentarily. But it's, it's interesting, like I say, it's actually, it is quite an uncommon thing. Like, I obviously speak to a lot of candidates on a daily basis and it is quite a rarity now to see that kind of really, like, methodical, logical, linear career progression, you know, within a particular domain. Um, obviously, there's lots of problems being solved with, with data science all over the place. And clearly, financial services is a, a huge um, you know, area where data science is being applied. But was it always a logical or, or a, uh, an intentional choice for you to s- stick within uh, financial services and, and fintech? And, and if so, why? Yeah, on day one, obviously not. So um, I remember back to looking for those those placements um and yeah i guess as a you know as, as i said as, as a student and you you don't know what the world of work truly is like yeah um, i certainly didn't <laughs> yeah you know, I, you know, I landed one placement and just, I, I loved it and um i certainly think back in sort of the late noughties um data as a as an industry isn't what it is today but financial services was ahead of its time because um, the types of problems that it needed to solve required data. The uh, regulatory pressures required data. Mm. Um, And so actually there I was finding that I was um, kind of cutting edge of of the data industry working in financial services. Um, You know, that possibly isn't true anymore because, um, you know, we've seen, um, you know, across the board, all industries really harness power, uh, power of data, yeah. um, and you know there's uh, there's a lot more kind of let's say interesting problems or, or unconstrained problems from a, like a regulatory over, oversight perspective uh, yep. that are being solved. Very much so, absolutely. Yeah, I mean we'll delve into um, your sort of role and, and obviously yeah how how leading a data science function in a regulated industry, um, you know, how you sort of tackle that. At Quagmire, but um, you, you mentioned, you know, obviously lots of different applications in the world of data science now, lots of problems in different sectors. Is there, a, a, outside of financial services, a particular industry that really appeals to you that you think would be very exciting, um, you know, domain that data science is being applied to at the moment? Uh, not not specifically. So, I mean, a couple of years ago, I had this kind of like mini um career crisis thinking, oh, am I pigeonholing myself? And, you know, I went to look for, you know, what opportunities there would be to switch switch industry. And actually at the end of that process, I realised I just, I, I love what I'm, I'm doing and that, and that was like quite a nice process to go through to to realise your, your, you've, you've actually got your right purpose. Yeah. Um, so, we, you know, to go back to your previous question, it started by accident, but it ended, it ended up being, being deliberate. Well, so, that's always nice. Yeah, <laughs> slight, slightly lucky there. Um, but, 
I very much like to keep in touch with the wider data industry. I love going to like meetup events and just hearing know talks and speaking to people about what problems they're solving um you know i find it interesting mm. also i find it inspiring yeah. um there may be a, a problem that somebody is solving you know fast moving consumer goods and you're thinking well actually that that sounds a lot like this other problem and just no one in the industry solves it like mm. that so that's that just inspires a new way of thinking yeah fantastic i love that because genuinely is one of the things I really love about recruiting for the data science space is that, you know, True North is a business, uh, you know, we're still a relatively young company, but when I started the business, I was very intentional about what I wanted the business to be about. And, you know, as, as cheesy and as esoteric as it might sound, it, our mission is to help people be happy at work, you know, to follow their, their, hence where the name came from, follow their purpose. And, you know, I think if people do that, the level of fulfillment they can derive from the jobs they do is, you know, just just infinite compared to those people that are turning up every day, going through the grind, doing something they don't enjoy. And um, yeah, surveyed the whole of the tech landscape when we, we started the business and thought, right, I, I genuinely believe data science is the next sort of hot area, and yeah, you know, certainly not going anywhere. Obviously, with the advances of AI and that kind of thing that are happening. But one of the things that I love is that when you speak to people, you know, largely within data science. It is their passion. You know, like they genuinely love doing it. So when you you can kind of place somebody into a domain, into a job that you know they really enjoy, it is their passion. It's actually what they would do maybe outside of of the office. You know, sort of tinker around, do their own sort of pet projects, go to conferences and, and tech talks and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's obviously really fulfilling. So it's great to hear that you know you're obviously in that space as well, and, and you're very passionate about the about the role. Um, so, so talk us through then, what does it mean to you to be a head of data science? And how do you how do you approach the role? And I know that's a very big open ended question. So we can certainly break that down into into other areas. But but yeah, talk us through, you know, kind of when you when you first arrived in that position as head of data science? Um, how did you feel? What did you sort of have to maybe build on as far as the skill set goes? What experiences have you had that sort of, you know, uh, yeah, just talk to that initial journey? Yeah, so um, as a as a career move, um, coming from um, you know a larger banking institution to a to a fintech, uh, I knew there'll be a you know a, a cultural shift. So one thing I was very mindful of is like I um, how do how do I adapt to that now? Um, I'd always been the um, let's say the rebel or the person who wanted to move faster at the corporate. So yeah. I, you know I had that natural gravity to work in that environment. But you know, you know sometimes you, you you know before you you know when you get boots on the ground you see things through a new light. So yeah. um, very much in that kind of you know hundred or let's say thirty day plan, you know, is making sure that I observe and soak up the culture and the way of working and and, and that sort of thing. But yeah. um, I guess I I want I I, I wanted to both bring that kind of governance maturity that you have at big firms, but m- meld it with the um, like agile and creativity uh, nature of small firms to find like a really nice, really nice uh, unison between between those 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 concepts. Mm. Um, my my leadership style though is uh, that I like to be the snowplow. Uh, and sometimes when I describe what I do, um, it sounds like I do nothing, and I just delegate it all to the all to the team. Um, but I think that being a head head of data science, um, you know, operating like that is is a, is a is a good way to you know is is a good way to achieve results. So 
setting setting frameworks um, and making sure that those processes are there to support the team. You don't have unnecessary bureaucracy. You have the right amount of creative freedom, but you've got those guardrails that are preventing you from going going off course. Um, I do spend a lot of my time making sure I support the team on, I guess, let's say, defining the problem statement and then also confirming that the release is mm. successful um, because I think that those kind of stages end up being, you know, you're dependent on, pe- on on stakeholders and people in in other teams to yeah. really really confirm that. And uh, yeah. you know, if you get those stages wrong, you don't deliver value. So Absolutely. I think that's that's uh, possibly the place that I like to to get uh, invo- involved in the most. But um, yeah, I guess um, to summarise all that, just providing that um, and a uh, safe, comfortable, best practice space uh, for others to deliver their best work. Nice, fantastic. Yeah, we, we'll definitely love to hear a little bit more about your leadership style um, momentarily. But the going from a, a bigger corporate like a you know Virgin, Virgin Money to um, you know to Korea, did you feel having exposed to that that sort of bigger business? Did that help you implement kind of more robust processes? And do you feel that was sort of a useful? Because you see, I, I suppose a lot of people often are keen to make that transition from one to the other, but they're not too sure about how their skill set's going to play out if they've worked in a sort of smaller scaling business and then go into a bigger corporate. You know, they don't if they necessarily got the the wider range of skills they need, and and, and vice versa. So, did you feel that actually having that? knowledge of a bigger business um you know was was helpful when moving into a uh, company like market finance at the time uh yes so i i think it's important to self-reflect and think that these are the things that i'm strong at and i can give to the business um and also i guess as a you know coming in in a leadership role um being it's, it's always nice to be given autonomy and freedom to 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 harness those skills and to strengthen the company you're going into yeah. but equally what is your learning opportunity? And most people want learning opportunities when they they go into new jobs, yeah. uh, you know. And actually, when I when I joined, one of the the, the biggest um, kind of let's say gaps that I was aware of is I'd never I'd never coded in Python, and I okay, okay, interesting. yeah. So what had you coded? In? Um, I'd, I'd used R. I'd oh. used SAS, which basically only like big banks and some healthcare providers kind of like use yeah. in, in 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 big scale. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> kind of things like VBA and stuff when I was younger and all that. But um, what I what I think is really important is if you if you know how to learn, um, you can learn things very, very quickly. Mm. So I always knew what I wanted to achieve. Um, you know, I had some transferable um, snippets of knowledge in my head. Uh, and actually, I, I spent some time, um, you know, kind of brush like get getting the basics and 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 actually probably like sort of three months into the role i i felt uh pretty com- competent in that now uh i'm i'll never profess to be uh you know an expert and there's certainly a lot of people in the team that are very uh very strong much stronger uh than than i am but um you know i i don't need to be i don't need to be that strong and i think knowing what the uh, what your gaps are and knowing how to learn and having that that plan and knowing what good looks like um just made sure that going into that role i was i was ready nice i like that i've never heard that sort of phrase before knowing how to learn but yeah i think it's, it's very true you know a lot of a lot of um job specs that you you see for you know data science professionals are just so 
absurd, you know, with every single library, technology, coding language out there under the sun. And you're never going to find that that particular person. If you are, you're fishing in a very small pool. So a large portion of, of my job is obviously to understand and look at what are the what are the core components that actually really need in this person and what are you prepared to, you know, for the right attitude and the right personality, what are you prepared to them to upskill on the job? But I like the phrase, you know, if you know how to learn. So break break that down with me. What do you mean by that in terms of, you know, how how do you coach somebody on learning, I suppose, what you've mentioned there? So um, I guess really old school concept and it, um, it actually surprised me how many people that I come across that haven't heard of the 70-20-10 rule that um, you know, a, a good kind of strategy to learn is you spend sort of um, you know, kind of 10% in the classroom, 20% you know, talking to people and 70% doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and, you know, and also I, I know that I'm a, I'm a kinesthetic learner and that that's the way that I, I retain knowledge. So again, you know, partly is, you know, is understanding yourself and having some very basic frameworks to, get, to go about. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll use an example here. So I had somebody in the team that wanted to um, learn some um, some kind of machine learning approaches, uh, and you know they you know, there's loads of um, you know on, online tools to help you to learn this, but they all use you know either you know, synthetic data, happy path, happy path cases. Uh, you know you, you're talking about iris and titanic data sets that like are using all of the textbooks and all of the courses um but i don't think that really teaches you anything it teaches how to press run um on some code and so to copy but um i think really if you're if you're learning i think that applying it to a problem that means something to you um i think that partly that that stokes passion and mm-hmm. it gives you purpose um but also you learn all you see all of those little unhappy path cases um and like we always work in like everybody's working in the unhappy unhappy path there's there's like you know there's like real data is dirty real problems are like not as well defined sometimes uh, experiments fail all of these sort of things and so actually you know in, in this in this example i i, I said to i said to the, the, the person like okay well yeah You've got what you want to learn. What what problem does this what problem does this solve? You know, or, or you know, ideally be led by that led by that problem, mm. um, and then yeah, I guess you've got something meaningful out of it. Um, it helps that you can use a bit of work time because you're actually solving a work a work problem and learning at the same time, yeah. and you learn a lot of other things along the way that you didn't expect that are sometimes more valuable than um, your original learning learning goal. So mm. yeah. I, and make it practical, make it valuable. Nice. I like that. I like that a lot. In fact, the 70-20, I'd never heard of that, 70-20-10 rule. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> so I made it up I, did, I, but, I but, didn't know this. But do you know what? I genuinely um, would, would have said the same thing in recruitment as well. You know, that 70% of the, you can spend all day pretty much in a, in a you know, uh, a meeting room with a training session, you know, going through the theory. But in reality, you learn 70% doing the job, you know, and, and failing at the end of the day, going wrong and, picking yourself back up and, and moving forward so um but no I, I like the it's something i've always taken into everything i've done is like you know yes you, you've got to understand the fundamentals but I, i'm i think a very similar learning to you i've got to go through it myself and you know before i really uh, can experience something so um cool yeah i like that a lot um so 
let's t- you mentioned a really good point uh, earlier about you know demonstrating value for the business, and I think that's a really hot topic in the world of data science because you know data science, let's face it, obviously isn't necessarily a new concept. It's been around for a long period of time, but definitely the kind of you know the sexy poster child in any sort of tech offering within a business now. If they haven't got one, it's like right, we need a data science function. Why are we not doing data science? And then you know you get a lot of powers that be that will hire a head of data science and throw a load of money at it and one of the biggest kind of challenges that I I hear when I speak to you know the, the tech leaders and data science leaders within uh, the businesses you know how they can get the business to actually understand what it is that data science is going to do and actually be able to demonstrate that value within a certain time frame where they can sort of then continue to receive the support funding you know all the things they need to sort of continue to grow the, the the function so how do you go about that whole process as a as a data science leader what do you think is important uh, you know sort of metrics that to to judge on actually demonstrating value to the business and um yeah really interested to hear your thoughts on that yeah so i guess it starts by keeping keeping your your ear to the ground and um you know networking with with the business uh and creating long-lasting partnerships listening to uh the problems or seeing the problems through the eyes of those those stakeholders yeah um i don't think that we should push data science on on people but actually listen to the problems they have and figure out what actually requires that type of solution uh, and sometimes those solutions are very basic. To go from zero to something is always much more meaningful than to go from something to like world class. Um, there's a lot of low hanging fruit that are still out there to be picked. Mm. Um, so d- uh, I'd start by saying, you know, don't be the data scientist sat in the corner. Um, network, understand, um, understand the business that you work in, understand the top three problems um that uh that someone has um and then max like or minimize time to value what is the fastest thing that i can do um to solve this problem and and actually i guess once you um you know let's say you start off with a like there isn't that culture you're the first data scientist and you start doing that it, it you you get this perpetual motion where you get that reputation or um somebody trusts you um and I think I think that's very important, especially when you know not all data science projects work out. You know, so yeah. a lot of them are, uh, are, are failed, and, uh, and and that time to value point is is quite important. You know, mm. if, if you if you get your first project, you say, look, I'm going to go away for three months, and it doesn't work out, or the stakeholders' priorities change, or that you know, are you really going to you know get that much attention from them? next time and that's going to regress yeah. you back into into the corner so mm. i think yeah it, it, i guess it starts off with that you know keeping your ear to the ground um and then on the back end on that kind of release side watching your your data products unfold see how they work yeah lots of times i've seen you know data product released uh, but its usage um, kind of breaks itself that actually now that it's being used, um, you know, colleagues are behaving in a different way, customers are behaving in a different way. Actually, oh, we've made a, a change to our product that's not quite kind of compatible with the assumptions that we made going into this. Mm. Um, you know, user adoption is poor in some some groups, and I think that you have to keep an eye on all of those things because yeah. otherwise you've just built that kind of um, you know an output that. You know, you're, you're, you're patting yourself on your back saying, hey, I've released it, but if no one's using it, then mm. you haven't actually delivered any impact. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's, that's a very good point. And yeah, you mentioned there the yeah, it's, it's the sort of it's getting the first wins, isn't it? Early on, winning trust, and uh, you know, it's that that sort of constant value feedback loop. I think is a really really important thing. And and certainly, what I see uh, is kind of a very uh, valuable trait within a data science leader is actually the people skills and the softer skills to have those conversations with the stakeholders and really understand those problems because like I said, it can often the value might not necessarily be instantaneous or you know but to actually sort of win the hearts and minds of the people that you're trying to solve the problem for um yeah i see that's a really important thing but how, how important do you feel are the kind of softer skills people skills as, as a, a head of data science in your role is that something you feel is particularly uh, relevant uh yes um i don't think it's the um the only way to listen to to customers and stakeholders um so i try and think about how um how many different ways can we look how many different angles can we look at something um, nothing is going to beat relationships and your know, communication is going to be so so key um but you know you, you're going to have you know there might be some stakeholders that are quite inaccessible either because, you know, very senior or distant or uh, there's so many of them, you know, you've got a thousand users in a call center or something like that. So then you've got to mm. find other ways to um, kind of capture the essence about what's important to them. So, you know, the, the senior stakeholders, like, listen to what they say. Think about, okay, well, you've said this three times in a month. That's that's a problem for you. Who Who can I, like, sort of speak to or where can I get information that actually influences you indirectly yeah. or if you're talking about you know uh, that that thousand people call center how do i build user adoption monitoring into my process so actually i want to um log the the username somebody every time somebody opens this tool and then i'll say well actually only 30 percent of users are, are opening it and then there's you know five percent of super users what why why is this and then that kind of leads on to the, those questions but I mean, just from those two examples, I think it's just finding, you know, nothing beats communication and talking to people and understanding your customer. But if you can find other ways to listen to them indirectly, that can mm. really kind of give you that 360 degree view about what's what's important to them. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And, and just hearing you talk then, it, it sort of struck me that I think another key trait of a really strong data scientist is just curiosity. It's Absolutely. Sort of yeah. How how do you um, interpret the problem and and you know like I say being able to pick up on the fact actually okay someone hasn't explicitly come to me and said this is a problem I need to solve it but how do you you kind of uh, you're going to search for the, the potential issue that you, you can solve so um, yeah yeah I like that a lot um, okay cool so talk us a little bit about your role now I guess let's sort of take it to the to the wider world of the ever-evolving um, AI and data science landscape that we're, uh, we're kind of living in these days. What are you most excited about um, moving forward in the world of data science? What, what sort of exciting trends are you seeing um, out there? Um, well, let, let me keep this super broad. Everything's getting better all the time. Uh, and so what I mean by that is um, there's... Yeah, the, the the tools you can buy are getting better. Open source is you know constantly pumping out new new things. Um, everything's got connectors to other things, so it's like it makes it super easy. Um, all of the you know kind of hyperscale cloud providers are just becoming kind of like one stop shops, and their products are getting better. 
um, um, auto ML, um, data engineering tools, etc. Like so, um, I guess there's you know all of that sort of stuff. Everything's everything's getting better. Um, and then culturally, I think that there's a you know I see in um, indirectly in other industries like data governance and, and that is being taken more seriously in that kind of data ethics uh, mm. side. So I think that that's quite um, all collectively that's a really really powerful tailwind uh, to get behind um, behind the data industry. You know I think the same problems are gonna gonna assist around you know uh dirty data and like uh you know data literacy and stuff like that you know some of that sort of stuff isn't going to go away but actually when there's better tooling um and frameworks uh to to operate in uh i think that that just is going to empower people more to spend their time focusing on that um less yeah those those um standing business side of things rather than um kind of legwork that's a lot easier to uh, uh to, to automate yeah absolutely absolutely and i guess that's that's the point of technology isn't it at the end of the day it's kind of there to make our lives easier and you know the advances of technology and tooling you know it, that that's really what it is is there to do and sort of smooth out the process and um it wouldn't be a podcast at the moment if we didn't throw it in there in some way shape and form but chat gpt i guess is a, a great example for a lot of people where you know it, it is solving lots of problems in lots of different ways okay it's far from the you know the kind of uh albeit agi that you know where everyone's talking about um but but it's definitely an incredibly powerful tool that is certainly from a coding perspective anyway you know helping solve lots of problems in in a much sort of swifter fashion um do you use chat gpt in your role and if so how um so I'll, i'll kind of firstly tell you my kind of general views on um like generative ai over the last i'll say okay let's call it 10 years um the Technology advancement last year, in my opinion, wasn't actually that great, but it was that cultural shift of when all of a sudden the non-technical person could commoditize in a way that was useful to them. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and you know, and then then the money comes, and that you know that is going to power the sales for you know f- you know that fa- <laughs> next ne- the arms race that's gonna mm. that's gonna follow. But um, you know, the the first version of of, of Chat GPT came out in two thousand eighteen, like you know. How many people knew about that? How many people uh, used it? Um, but, you know, as soon as it gets the, the media's attention, it's, you know, well, you've seen how viral it's gone. Um, so how, how, do, how do we use it? Um, so, you know, talking about myself and, and colleagues, um, yeah, we, we use it in a very kind of um, light-touch way to make, um, to make our lives easier, to automate those, those simple simple tasks um i think you know it's it gives, sometimes it's best used as that that user assist kind of approach it makes makes your life easier but you shouldn't necessarily just pump out pump out the the answer mm-hmm. um you know, the and, and the companies um you know we, we've gone through these kind of ideation sessions around how we can build uh how can we can incorporate into our into our products um so we've got a couple of I, exciting ideas i won't i won't i won't share them uh <laughs> okay, share them yeah. just here yeah of course um but you know everybody's doing it so every month that goes by there's like all of a sudden there's a new plugin and it's like well actually we doing that with that plugin or uh, somebody else does it and actually well that validates our use case that this you know somebody else is thinking about this um and and 
they're seeing customer value and so so mm. forth. So, um, but I mean, I've always been somebody that I don't think that being first to market is important. I just think that being best to market is is important. So, uh, amongst our, our own kind of company ideation. Uh, you know, we're also kind of listening to what other people are doing and, you know, where they're failing and where we can make a V2 on it. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I actually um, did a, a whole episode of the podcast a while ago specifically around ChatGPT. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's, um, it, it's not reinvented the wheel. Obviously, large language models have been around for a long period of time. But I think one of the things, like you said, it has done is, fact it's a publicly available tool you know that's what's really turned the dial isn't it and uh, turned the needle so uh, yeah very interesting space to sort of see where we where we go from here but um cool well like, i guess in closing i well firstly really enjoyed the conversation so thank you very much for coming Likewise. on and uh, yeah really interested to hear your your insights and I can see why you've been such a successful data leader because uh, clearly very passionate about what you, you're talking about but also very very kind of measured and and concise with um with your approach as well so um i always like to end every podcast with the same question which is what is your one favorite piece of advice um that you have ever received if you were to pass on to your fellow human um what would that be for you um okay so to give you the most useful piece of advice i've ever had um uh was um uh I would, the context was I was in my first company, which I spent three years at, and sort of two years in, um, I had a lot of frustrations uh, with projects, and you know, it's, sometimes it's you know, very easy to move company um, and often you know, get pay rise and stuff. And uh, so I'd, I'd basically I'd found the first job that I could, um, and I was like ready to to walk out the door. And my my kind of senior manager had said to me, um, you know, it's ambitious to leave. Uh, but sometimes it's more ambitious to stay. Uh, no, yeah, no, and Good, I, great management line, that. Yeah, and I thought about that. And, you know, he just kind of dropped that and walked away. So, I mean, there's a lot of things I like this in terms of, like, his um, his delivery of that and how um, it kind of probably empathizes, you know, oh, you're being ambitious, Mike, and stuff like that. But, I mean, that that I took away, and I I I, I unpacked so much from from that around, well, actually, what what is ambition for me? And actually... I, what I came to is ambition was, you know, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be better. Um, and I didn't want to be frustrated at the problems. And the only way that you're going to not be frustrated at the problems is to learn how to manage yourself, learn how to solve those problems, learn how to have logical thinking. And, you know, I and end up by kind of you know, backing out of offer. And, and, and actually 12 months later, I moved on from that company, but it was for the right reasons at the right time to the right role. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I, um, that piece of advice wasn't necessarily meant to say like, oh, we're gonna like trick you into like having like low confidence and and, and not uh, and not not leaving us. But I think it's just around, you know, thinking thinking about things objectively and what problems do you want to do you want to solve in the longer term. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's, that's a great way to to end the podcast, and I think yeah, particularly relevant for for the world of recruitment as well. And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's um, <laughs> obviously. In our line of industry, you know, we don't we don't make money unless people move on from jobs. But I do genuinely see it as our service to people to kind of make sure that if they are looking to move on, they're doing it for the right reasons, for the right opportunity, like you said. And and very often, you know, it's human nature, isn't it, to sort of we all want to get ahead, we're all ambitious. Like I say, ambition means different things to different people, but it is very easy to think, you know, 
when uh, you've had a, a, a you know an argument with your boss that day or whatever that the, the grass is greener and you know I very often I, I'm firmly set the belief that yeah all right it might be but in many ways have you have you fertilized your own lawn before you before you move on and I think that's the thing to sort of always think that the answer lies externally is not always the case of course there's certain situations and certain um you know things that can't be resolved but i i see it as our job when we're working with the candidates sort of fully understand okay is the situation we're in at the moment can we actually work with where you are right now because often that can be the, the better way to to kick your career forward um and if it stands that it can't then yeah cool it makes sense maybe for us to start looking uh, looking into the market but no i've i've uh, not heard that before but i'll definitely be <laughs> definitely be using it moving forward um cool all right mike well, thank you again for coming on really enjoyed the conversation and um yeah i think it's been a fantastic episode and uh, yeah wish you all the very best with your uh, your future endeavors at, at career it seems like the data science uh, function is in very safe hands and uh, lots of lots of exciting stuff ahead by the looks of it yeah my pleasure thanks for having me take care uh, you too